Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Live Revolutionary Podcast, and I am your host, Vanessa Cruz. Listen, before we dig into today's topic, make sure to check out episode nine that focused on movies, Netflix, and trauma. If you've ever seen a movie that brought up some old memories or feelings that were hard to shake off, then you do not want to miss out on episode nine, How Movies Can Trigger Trauma. Listen, it is chalk full of information on trauma and preventative measures so that you can make sure you never get blindsided by a movie ever again. Today's podcast is entitled Bound for Success or Bondage to Success, How the Fear of Failure Can Enslave You. Ooh, it sounds so good. You already know it's going to be good. So listen, after my two-part series, Don't Let Fear Punk You, I received a lot of feedback. So as a continuation to Don't Let Fear Punk You, I'd like to take some time and focus in, hone in our efforts on fighting fears by focusing on specific fears. So if you haven't heard Don't Let Fear Punk You 1 and 2, I highly recommend you do. I share a broader framework and education on fear that this particular podcast is not intended to accomplish. So today, for those of you who have identified the fear of failure in your life, let's dig in. We know that from the Don't Let Fear Punk You series, that unhealthy, irrational fear can be a perceived threat. And what I mean by perceived threat is that even though it is not an actual physical threat to our life, sometimes things that we face um, may cause our body to react as though it is a perceived threat. So the same kind of reaction you would experience if you're walking down a dark alley and something pops out at you can sometimes be the same inward reaction that we experience when somebody's asking us to do something that we're unfamiliar with, or God is saying, hey, I want you to go do that. And that same sort of hesitation presents itself. But from the two examples I just drew, one is definitely a very real threat, and the other is just a perceived threat. And so we learn that the original intention of fear um, can bring wisdom or because the fear of God, or there is a fear that can cause us to bury our talents. Okay, so this was all covered in the Don't Let Fear Punk You series, uh, part one and part two. We learned that fear can bring wisdom, like the fear of God. And we learned that sometimes fear, because of it being short-circuited by living in a fallen world, can present itself as a perceived threat when there is no threat. We talked about how in Matthew uh, chapter 25, verse 24, we find that the man did not do anything with his talents because, quote, he said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And so I was afraid and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. And so what we learned is that even in the parable of talents, we read that fear is what kept him from investing those talents as the master had asked him to do. So in essence, this unsubstantiated fear that he experienced cost him his talent. So the question I posed in Don't Let Fear Punk You was, will you let fear cost you what God has entrusted you? So if you didn't listen to that, you're definitely going to want to go back and catch up on that. We also learned that irrational fear can be linked to a lack of trust in the Lord. Many times when you and I experience fear after we thought of something we need to do or asked to do, we can experience an automatic thought or an immediate hesitation or avoidance to justify why we shouldn't do that thing. 
Sometimes that automatic thought may sound like, what if I look stupid? What if nothing comes of it? What if I waste my time? What if they say it's not good enough? So these automatic thoughts spring from an, from a subconscious belief system. You're going to want to make sure you catch this. These automatic thoughts, they're automatic, meaning you don't have to try to think of it. They just immediately present themselves when you think about that thing that you uh, should do or asked to do. And so an automatic thought will present itself and it sounds different to every person. Like I said, it could be, what if I look stupid? What if I waste my time? But most of them spring from what are people going to think of me? So what that says to me is that somewhere deep down inside, you are drawing from the belief system that this depends, this thing that you're afraid of doing, that this thing depends ultimately on you and your performance. The problem is, if you have surrendered your life to Christ, frankly, little depends on you because we know that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. So the solution is simple. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, right? It sounds so simple. You just let go and you walk by faith. Now, this is incredibly freeing when you get to this point. But until then, due to our school systems, society, media, and even the type of parenting we received, we are in a perpetual state of bondage to success. We are terrified of failure. And I mean, for good reason. Who wants to feel like a loser or feel embarrassed? So the only logical thing to do is to change the perspective, change the view, change the way we see failure. So now, biblically speaking, when I think of someone who failed, two individuals immediately come to mind. First Peter, the disciple of Christ, and then King David. So let's talk a little bit about Peter. Peter was a disciple of Christ who walked with Jesus for three years, lived with Jesus for three years. They hung out. They did ministry together. Peter witnessed signs, wonders, miracles, healings. They ate together. They were taught individually and personally by Jesus. And we find out that when the going gets tough, Peter didn't really have what it took. And we find him in scripture having denied Jesus three times to save himself. And so after his initial shame and beating himself up, which by the way, we know he experienced shame because he wasn't present at the crucifixion of Jesus and also because of his dialogue with Jesus after Jesus resurrected, we find that Peter comes to own that failure by repenting for his lack of courage. And he makes a choice to continue to follow Jesus by being obedient. His obedience and courage to own that failure of having denied Jesus, position him to be with the others, the other disciples, when the Holy Spirit was sent to indwell the believer. And directly following that event, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, is filled with such courage and boldness that he stands in front of a whole town 
and gave the largest altar call known to that time where 3,000 people came to Christ. I, I mean, think about this. Peter has a conversation with Jesus prior to the crucifixion and says, Jesus, I have got your back. You don't even know how down I am with this cause. And then Jesus prophesies to Peter and says, you know what? By the end of the day, you're already going to, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter gets upset. He's like, never Lord. What? That is insane. But that's exactly what happened. Peter, filled with shame and disappointment with himself, just kind of, he just kind of disappears from scripture for a little while. And so you can imagine the shame, the disappointment in himself that he's experiencing, that he didn't have what it took. But he doesn't let that stop him. When Christ returns, when Christ is resurrected, he has a conversation with Jesus. And God allows him, gives him the opportunity to repent. And Peter's able to tell Jesus, you know, for the three times that he denied him, Peter is able to tell Jesus that he loves him three times. And so Peter owned that failure. And because of that, it positioned him for success. And so here we see that God can not only use our failures, but they can actually position us for success. Listen, James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so here through this verse, we see that our failures, our trials, our, tri our tribulations, even our tragedies, there is, there is no other uh, type of event, scenario, or circumstance that can produce in us perseverance. And this perseverance is the only thing that can propel us into maturity and completion, which is the journey, the pilgrimage that every believer is on to be made more perfect. And so it pays to own our failure and to learn from it. And so now all of this talk about success means we should rightly define success as well. But here's the thing. The definition of success depends on who you ask. For some, wealth is success. For some, a comfortable, a convenient life. For some, climbing the corporate ladder. And for some, living a quiet life. So this presents another challenge for the believer. Varying definitions of success can ultimately confuse us. Who are we in this world? When we know that we are in the world, but are not of it. And so therefore, like failure, we must change the way that we see and define success. And I wrestled with this perspective for a long time. But about three years ago, I settled on this definition of success to be obedient to God, that, that is the highest form of success there is. My boy E. Stanley Jones was talking to another man about uh, his time as a missionary, and this is out of a, out of a book, of course. And um, he was a missionary in India, and he said to another man, the romance of missions has gone for me. I know what I'm up against. 
If you should say to me that I go back to India to see nothing but frustration and failure and that I would see no fruit whatsoever, I would reply, well, that's just an incident. I have the call of God to India and to be true to that call is my one business. Success and failure are not my business. To be true is. What a freedom there is in that statement. To be true to our call, to whatever God asks of us, that is our business. And success and failure is God's business. That is a position that is a posture of faith. Like, God, I'm just going to, I'm going to do whatever it is that you're asking me to do. And whether you allow it to succeed, amen. And if you allow it to fail, amen. Because there's an, there's a, a core belief there somewhere deep down inside. Not that, uh, not that we are responsible for the failure, but the core belief within us should be that no matter what comes of it, my obedience is what matters. Not the result, but the heart that I did it with. The core belief should be that literally anything that we do and anything that we experience, that God is working it out for our good. If that is your core belief, that whether I succeed and God allows it to succeed, then he's doing it for my good. But if he also allows it to fail, then we must trust that God is allowing us to fail for our good. That, that is an element of faith that I believe we can forget at times because failure feels like a punishment in the world that we live in. It feels like a disappointment. It, feels, it makes us feel like we're less than, like we don't add up. And so, my friend, failure does not always feel good, but it does seem to be necessary, a necessary ingredient to becoming exactly who God wants us to look like, his son. Jesus cared little about success or failure. The story of Jesus is a story of apparent failure. If you look at it, he was rejected by his nation, the Jewish people. And he was crucified by the Romans and he ended up on a cross. And so a faith, our faith that has a cross at its center cannot be a faith that worships success. We do not have to succeed. We only have to be true. And so my prayer is that through repentant hearts, we would come to only focus on the verdict that matters. Well done good and faithful servant. And so my challenge to you is this, redefine success or even ask yourself, what does success mean to you? Self, what does success mean to you? And if it isn't obedience, then I I challenge you to shift that perspective, redefine it, give it a biblical worldview and do the same with failure. Shift your perspective on failure. Everything in the believer's life is not in vain. God is using it. It's like more clay thrown into the potter's hand and he's using it to shape us and mold us. And we have such a comfort in that. So I'll leave you with this verse out of 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. 
But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, that's all for now. If you've enjoyed this podcast, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Got a question? Hop on liverevolutionary.org and click Ask Vanessa. And remember to think, feel, and live revolutionary.